Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two. Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast. I am your host, Corey Barrier, and I am here with Nicole Faith. Uh, Nicole works with Ed Milet on his media team, but we met through a mutual friend of ours through <laughs> Tony Robbins. So she was at uh, an event of Tony Robbins. She was on crewing the event uh, alongside of one of my buddies, and it got to talking and she knows that our, my buddy knew that I was in RK and so that's kind of how we linked up. And so I got to know Nicole a little bit better. And today she's going to tell us a little bit more about herself and some things that she's gone through and uh, kind of her story. So Nicole. Yeah. Welcome. Hey, Oh my gosh. I'm very excited. Yes, you should be. So much to talk about. <laughs> I know, right? I'm so I'm actually super excited because I don't I don't know it all. I don't know all the stories, so I can't wait. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and it's so funny that we met through Anthony because he's he's a riot, and I'm glad that he connected us. And then also, you're a part of Arte Accelerator. Yep. So is my brother. So everyone's really weirdly intertwined and connected, which I think is super cool. Absolutely. Um, lots of like-minded people. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Yep. 100%. And it's so funny because really, if you think about all all of us that stem from Tony, Ed stem from Tony, you stem from Tony, Anthony, myself. Mm -hmm. So he's that kind of the common denominator. Yeah. I probably learned about Ed through Tony, honestly. Oh yeah. So did I. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was funny seeing Ed's picture with Tony the first time they went on stage. Do you remember? I, do you remember him posting yeah, that? Yeah, that yeah. Was like, he was young. He was super young. I watch old videos of Ed and Tony, and I'm like, wow, it's just crazy to see them like right. back in that day. Yeah, that's insane. And to see where you know where how far Ed has come since then. Well, yeah. you know, he's kind of been knocking out of the park since day one. It seems like. But, yeah. Such a great guy. Oh, totally. The community is great. It really is. It really is. So let's dive right into you. We know enough about right. Ed. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, so I just it just kind of depends where you want me to start. Okay. Um, I know that we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about relationships, but I want it to be like a melodramatic podcast. That does not sure. give anybody any motivation. <laughs> Absolutely. So I want, you know, 
I want you to share some of the stories that you have been through. So if some one of our listeners, a lady, can mm-hmm. want they hear your story and can identify with it, hopefully they can make a shift in their life or maybe stop okay. something that's going on with them or something that's going on within their relationship. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, no, and um I'll probably just tell it from a space where this is maybe something that I would have benefited from hearing, you know, while you're in it. Um, So basically I've, I've done, I've been into self-development my whole life. My parents were very intertwined with Tony Robbins. They went to one of his like first events where there's 300 people. So I grew up, you know, with the books around me, the affirmations, all of it. Um, It wasn't until I turned about 19 and I was not sure about college. I was just kind of in like a weird space in my life. And I decided, all right, like for the next year and a half, I'm going hard. I'm working. I worked three jobs. I got my way through. I was at community college at the time. Um, I was all on my own, busting my ass. And I was incredibly like, I was in the best place of my life when I turned 21. And that's when I met this guy. Um, Hopefully I don't say his name. It might just roll my tongue. Yeah, so he had grown up in my town. He was, um, I kind of watched him from afar. He was four years older than me, played pro baseball. He was just the guy. Um, but his reputation was weird. It was like, you either loved him or you hated him. Mm. And so when we ran into each other, when I had turned 21, at, we were at a bar. Uh, we just clicked instantly and it was looking back on it now it was definitely a toxic space relationship and I think that's why I was so passionate at first we had so much chemistry but we had good intentions and I think that's this is what I was troubled with for a long time is that our intentions were clean we didn't drink together for the first like couple months after he got sober because he was an alcoholic that's you know a whole other thing but essentially he decided that's what he was um so we were sober we didn't sleep together we did the vision board the goals we wanted to stand up in front of audiences and talk to people about relationships like so hold on at 21 years old this is what you were thinking and that you were doing and oh yeah I was like and we thought we were getting married it was like it was everything he ended up getting my initials tattooed on his wrist and at the time I was like that's amazing it doesn't matter we're going to be together forever um and then it was like I didn't and everyone kind of if you've been in an issue-based relationship one that has a lot of toxicity you look back and you're like wow there, there were definitely red flags there but I was so in it that I couldn't really see um what was going on and so he started you know one of the things that I regret is he decided he was an alcoholic and then he wasn't and then he was and he would go back and forth and I was with him when he had his first drink after being sober um, for a while and ever since then it just kind of trickled down and it was he would get more and more drunk and the drunkness turned into him being angry and fighting and a lot of his manipulation and um, abuse like verbal abuse started to be about my past and who I had spent time with and um he made it's it's weird looking back on it now because I see why he was put into my life because I was challenged Mm 
he challenged me in the ways where I should have stood up for myself and did, shown him and shown myself that I was worthy of something better than that. But he triggered me in such a way, he hit me at like the exact, the exact painful points that I knew would hurt me. Um, so anyways, uh, that kind of, you know, kept getting worse and worse. And it wasn't until about a year and a half ago, not this last May, but the May before, we had our huge blow up. And he shows up hammered at my house. I wake up to him pounding on my door. I can tell he's drunk, but I'm, I'm already checked out at this point. I'm really done with all the bullshit. Like, even though I'm, I'm very dependent, we're codependent completely on each other right now. Um, I was just, I couldn't even handle the fighting. I was 20 pounds heavier than I am right now. I was exhausted, sick, like literally physically ill from all the content and the, just the pain that I was going through in this relationship. So can, and, can you walk me through like maybe an example of, um, of when you refer to the, the verbal abuse or, or him bringing up something, can you give me and everybody else the, listening idea yeah. of what that looks like yeah and I'm just going to be brutally honest totally. so I dated I dated a black guy before I dated my ex he was incredible um my best friend for sure we just drifted apart it didn't work out um and my ex the one that was verbally abusive was very intimidated by this incredibly insecure and he would bash on me on my black ex-boyfriend and it was that's just a little example like he would call me you know every word in the book um and he he um and for all the ladies out there if, if a guy is trying to know every single person of, that you've ever slept with that you've ever kissed or dated or anything and they're trying to use that as a control it is they are a narcissist and they're manipulating you completely and you should never feel bad about anything like that at all it's your body your thing do whatever you want with it be safe obviously but he really you know i had my own self-worth issues and he took the that pain and he would throw it into my face um and that just catapulted into this blow up that where he showed up in at my house bang the door down, comes in, super drunk. He had stolen all of my passwords from my computer to log on to my Instagram and Snapchat and everything. So he'd gone to a bar, sat at the bar, drank, logged on to everything, and I had nothing on my phone. He had found something from years ago from, with, like, a guy that I had a crush on who was my neighbor. Super funny, actually, to look back on it now. Uh, <laughs> I remember him showing me being like, you're wrong. Like, I don't even know what to tell you. And um, <clears throat> he was accusing me of doing whatever. And then um, we're in the kitchen and he has my phone. I try and take it back and he takes it, smashes it into pieces. And then he threw me to the ground. And so I was, you know, sitting on the ground, like my thighs are touching the tile. And I knew like, there's no going back. Like there is, this is it. And um, I could always tell when he was too drunk because there was like a glaze over his eyes. Like he sure. wasn't, it was like my person that I loved was gone. Um, and so he freaked out that he had pushed me down. Um, but I'd heard his reputation 
um, did have stories of him hurting people in the past, hurting women in the past. So I didn't really know what to do with it or how to take it. Um, he left and I crawled over to the front door to close it. And I actually ended up seeing my mom's book that she had written. It's, uh, she wrote a memoir on our family. And I remember picking it up and thinking like, I just want to hear my mom's voice. Like it's 2 a.m. I have no way of contacting anyone. I'm in a house alone. I don't know where my ex is at this point. I don't know if he drove away, hammered. Um, and then he actually comes back in. And he, long story short, he freaks out about hurting me, smashes his phone. So there's no way of using his phone to contact anyone. He destroys my living room, throws the coffee table, everything. And I, I end up hugging him. And my instinct was to try and calm him down. Like, maybe if I can just get him relaxed and feeling like tomorrow we'll wake up and talk about it, it'll be okay. So I lay him down on the couch thinking he'll block out. I go upstairs and I'm on my computer trying to sign on an iMessage to get anybody into contact with me. And because at that point too, I still was like, I want to call 911 and get him in trouble. Like that was my fear. Um, and I, everything was dark. I heard him coming up the stairs. I could hear his ankles clicking because they always would like snap. Um, and he walks in and I'm sitting there and I put my laptop under my bed and the, the moon is kind of like shining in. I can't really see him. And he goes, did you sleep with him? And I'm like, who? Like, what is, what are you even talking about? And he's like making shit up in his head. And he, he turns and he's holding a huge kitchen knife. And I'm, I'm just sitting there on my knees like yelling like I didn't know if he was going to hurt himself or if he was going to hurt me I didn't I just my adrenaline was like I I'll never forget it like clear as day um it makes my I have like heart palpitations thinking about it but um he ended up taking the knife by God's grace and smashing it into uh the dresser and it stuck in there and his hand slipped and it completely cut his hand open. Ooh. So there's blood everywhere. He's screaming at me um, to take him to the ER. I ended up taking him. Um, we went in when it was dark. We left at like 5 a.m. when it was light outside. And then I took him home to his parents' house. And then I texted my parents on my computer later that day. And I said, I don't know what to say right now. I just need to go home or I need to go to Dallas where you guys are. That's where um, they live. And I live now. Um, and they got me a ticket and I went home. And so I was in Dallas for the summer. Um, I went back in uh, August to finish school. Um, and we reconnected. He was sober again. I was still struggling with my own self-worth issues. This is, this was my mistake. Um, but I missed him. He was my best friend. And I had to go through my own process of losing that. Um, and he was doing well until he called me on a Monday and he said, he's crying. He goes, I got a DUI. And I go, okay, we're done. Blocked him on everything. And I was like, he needs to get away from me. He ends up going into rehab for like, five, like a month, but he could only go for five days because of insurance. 
breaks or whatever, he gets out, shows up at my place with another tattoo, and it's Roman numerals of the day that we met. And that's when I feared, okay, maybe this is, like, something's happening here. Like, he's, he's, I don't want to say obsessive, but he's not thinking clearly. He's not thinking clearly. And, and also, I want to say, he had his own demons. We all have our own demons. We all deal with things differently. Him losing me was him losing his identity. And he was pulling at every straw to keep us together. And it was incredibly painful to, to continually push him away. But that was just something I had to do. Um, and then a month later, he got a second DUI. And I found out through, he called my best friend. Um, I continued to block him off. And I waited as long as I could to get a restraining order because I didn't want him to deal with any more legal stuff. I was like, I don't want to be the one that puts him in jail, but he just wouldn't, he was everywhere. He was at Whole Foods. He was driving by me. He was at the library. He was at the parking garage. Stalker. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was becoming that. And then on New Year's Eve, I go to Dallas and he actually flies in. And um, my whole family's really alarmed at this point. They're mad at me because I've waited so long for the restraining order just in general. And I, I didn't see him in Dallas, but my dad did. And he basically was like, you got to stay away. And he said, okay, I understand. And then when I got back to Tucson, he was there outside my apartment. Um, and the next day I went to the courthouse and I got the restraining order. And I... The, the worst part is that he did not stop. So it was like, I don't know if you've ever picked up the phone to call 911, but it is incredibly draining. And so I found myself in that position like five times. And um, he actually showed up at the library or at the parking garage at my school um, at University of Arizona. And um <clears throat> He, he seems different. His eyes are like bloodshot when I first start talking to him. He's really like, he doesn't understand why I got the restraining order. It's just nothing's clicking. And we continue to talk and I kind of say, this is it. Like, this is your last chance. Like, I'm not going to call the police, but please stop. Like, please. And um, he smiled at me. He hugged me. He told me he loved me and he said goodbye. Um, and then the next day I woke up and I was, I was grateful that he hadn't reached out and he had listened to me um, until his mom actually um, called me at like 5 a.m., 6 a.m. She goes, Nicole, I want you to know um, he's in the hospital. He tried to kill himself. Um, he's going to be okay, but we know that he's going to call you and he's going to ask you to show up and we're asking you not to. And I already knew that Anything I did, any connection I made with him, even months before this, I knew that I was enabling him if I let anything that he did be okay. And it was brutal for me because he would always say, I can't believe I'm losing you, I'm losing you, I'm losing you. And for me, I was like, you don't understand that I'm, I've already lost you. You put me in a space where I've had to completely push away the of one thing that was everything to me regardless of it being toxic and abusive at times um 
because it's hard too when you love someone who's an alcoholic you love them when they're sober when they're their true self and when he was drinking he wasn't he wasn't mine and it was hard to compartmentalize what was real and what wasn't um so after um you know the suicide attempt um i ended up calling my parents and since he had broken the restraining order at school and he had broken the restraining order at my apartment, I was able to break my lease and then finish all my classes online. Um, so, which was incredible. so how did he try to commit suicide? Just out of curiosity. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. So the um, he shot himself, and he shot himself. Um, he said he was aiming for his heart, and it went through his the flesh of his left shoulder. Um, yeah. Shit. Okay, yeah. so he actually really did try, I think, it sounds like, to kill himself. Yeah. Um, or took mm-hmm. a really bad wound to try to prove a point. That was... Yeah. Shit. Either way, either way, I thought I, you know, there is no... the The state that he must have had to be in that much suffering is I felt awful regardless. And that's just, you know, because it doesn't matter. Um, I hate that if it was a cry for help or if it was a, I want her to see how much pain I'm in, regardless, I, I felt, I knew he was in pain. And I also knew that anything I did to come close to him was just going to continually make him worse and, and put myself at jeopardy because I got to a point where I was like, I don't trust. It's not that I don't trust him and his true self and his heart. I don't trust whatever is going on with the chemical imbalances of the depression, anxiety, alcohol, and anything else he was doing. Um, So I had to be logical about it. And I basically packed up all my stuff um, in like three days and I left Tucson and I moved to Dallas. Um, And when this is kind of where Ed comes in, is the first three months um, before me moving, I listened to Ed every morning. And part of it was he motivated me. And part of it was he was just this voice that I could get completely distracted by. And um, I seriously, I just was like, oh my God, Ed Milet, like he was my guy. and so I'm sitting in my apartment with boxes all around me about to drive to Dallas. And I have this like pull to send a video of me talking um, to his Instagram. And so I, I pull it up and I start talking and I say, I'm going through something I don't even know how to talk about yet. And um, I'm scared that my ex-boyfriend's gonna, at this point I, I thought he was gonna die um like I just thought that it was coming um I was leaving everything I knew 
I was leaving my job, my mentor who I worked for, who was incredible. Um, she's still incredible, obviously, but I mean, I worked with her. I nannied her son. Like I had a family there and I was like, I just need to leave. Um, so I, I sent the video. I'm talking to him about this and he responds and he is like, I see you. I see your eyes. I know that you're going through something. Um, you're going to get through this. And I just was like, you know what? And I pulled out my notes and I started writing all the things that I wanted when, when I went to Dallas. Um, and the first thing I said is get interviewed by Ed Milet. And I was thinking later on down the road, like I'm going to be 28 years old, whatever, 30, and he's going to interview me for whatever I did. Little did I know, eight months later, six months later, I would be getting interviewed for a job. And it was just, I basically, I went to Dallas um, and, you know, that was, it's been, I've been here almost, almost a year now. It's been a crazy fast year, full of, full of shit. I mean, just so much stuff. Because when I, when I showed up in Dallas, I felt like I had just gotten out of a gauntlet. Like I was broken pieces I had a broken heart I was hope I felt hopeless I wasn't hopeless I felt hopeless um I had isolated myself you know if you're in a relationship and you are isolating yourself from everyone around you that is not good and I had you know I had I had not been there for my friends and when they were trying to connect with me I was too far gone I was so in my head I I hurt relationships because of this one and um it was painful Every day I woke up for five months um, in tears because I didn't know how I was going to get through. I didn't know how to really carry myself and heal. I, I was, you know, I've been through things in my life before, but this was the first time I questioned my resiliency and that scared me. Um, so you know, I, I, I had actually moved. The beauty of this is that I'd gotten my ticket to UPWLA when I was already living in Tucson. And I thought, oh, I'll just drive up. No big deal. Sure. But I moved to Dallas two weeks before it. So I had to get a flight. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go to the Dallas UPW. And then I was like, no, I feel called to go to LA. So I did that one. It was exactly what I needed. But I still left. And I was like, fuck I got a lot to do like I'm I'm hurting so I did 75 hard yeah and if anybody I don't know I'm guessing people yeah. know, uh, I know you, you know it but Tyler actually interviewed me for the documentary oh god that's so awesome yeah it was pretty it yeah. was pretty cool 75 hard changed my life like all my friends made fun of me but it legit I don't know what I would have done without it because it forced me in the hardest most painful time of my life to get up and do the shit that I did not want to do what part what part was the hardest for you um the hardest part was probably I struggle with food so a little bit of the diet um because I'm I'm an emotional eater I'm very like I use it as a comfort mechanism sure. and not being able to reach for those things really pushed me to be like, 
okay, like I'm really uncomfortable right now. I'm vulnerable and I can't have cake. So I have to deal with my shit. And that was tough. And then, you know, you move to a new city, you want to go out and be with friends and meet them. And I wasn't drinking. So that was actually the most beneficial thing though, because I learned how to go out and not drink, which was like very necessary for me. Um, (laughs) I needed that. Um, but it, it definitely course corrected a lot for me. And I was able to lose a lot of the weight that I had gained from, you know, my relationship. And it was a fresh perspective for me. Um, and it was still hard. I mean, even after I still had my struggles. Um, but I ended up um, getting in touch with Ed's team at this point because I'd been visualizing every day. My books that I read were all Joe Dispenza's. Um, and I know that you follow Joe Dispenza, obviously, yes. but I started, I did all of his meditations, 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night. And I started imagining me just meeting Ed. And for whatever, I don't know why it was just every morning when I would visualize, for some reason, I would think of Ed. I don't know if it was like habitual because I'd been listening to him so much or whatever, but um, I, you know, and I know Von Kohler, who is the co-host on MFCEO with yeah. Andy, um, when they were doing their podcast and he's been an incredible mentor for me. He actually met my ex and like, he knew everything that was going on. Um, so he was able to connect me with their team and I just started shooting out emails, trying to figure out what they had. Um, and so before um, UPW Dallas in July, they actually said in like May, they're like, we'll have you come out for an internship. And I was so excited. I was like, I'm moving to California, blah, blah, blah. And then they called me and they're like, yeah, no, actually you're not coming. And they said no. And they um, told me, you know, we don't really need an intern. It's just not necessary, like blah, blah, blah. And I was crushed, like oh. absolutely crushed. I... I was like literally looking at places to go to to move to California. I told people like I was moving to California, which was my first mistake is I think I jinxed it. Um, but <clears throat> I ended up going to UPW Dallas. That changed my life crewing it. Yes. I've never felt so much love and connection in my life where people weren't trying to get anything out of me. It was just like pure bliss. Oh my God. Those Amazing. people, I love them. So what did you, what part, when, what did you do in, what did you do when the fire was going on? What did you, what part did you play? Which part? When, when everybody walks on fire, where, where were you? Okay. So the first time I crewed, yeah. <laughs> I was the person that, that just like guided everyone in. Yes. Um, and the second time I just crewed like a couple weeks ago in Miami, um, I was the person, I was the anchor that caught people at the end. You were the celebration? No, I was the person that like caught people oh, right. at the end, like you run through. Yeah. I oh was I was the celebration person. Oh. I'm I so mean, jealous. Like, Everyone always wants to be him. And it was pure oh my God. I c I'll tell you remind me about that. Remind me about about the RTA celebrator and Okay. The, because the things that you're saying are lining up with my story is very similar in in a way so go ahead yeah um no so then after UPW Dallas I was like you know what I felt I was like high on life like I I was I would 
was crying tears of joy because I was like, I cannot believe I've changed this much and I'm doing this much better in this much time. Like, um, so I called him again and my brother, Clint, who is a part of um, RSA Accelerator, he's like my, oh my God, he's my guy. He's like my best friend. Um, I have two older brothers. They're both amazing. But Clint will like push me to do things. And he's like, you just got to keep calling, keep emailing. And I sent like two emails. And then by God's grace, the CEO responded and goes, hey, we have an interview. Let's set it up. Um, it's for this position, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like pacing, but like for an hour before it, like I have all my notes out everywhere. And then I got an interview and it was like free flowing and great. And I got the job on the spot. And what did you, how did you feel when you got the, when you got the email that you were getting the interview? Like how, uh, walk me through that. I, I was like, I'm connected. I'm in a different, I'm in the vortex right now. I'm in the quantum, you know, I'm bringing that in. And I trusted every time I feel afraid of opportunities that come my way, I kind of can step back and say, even if I'm scared, like there is a reason that it's my opportunity in the first place. And I wouldn't be given it if I couldn't handle it. And if I couldn't do it. And if an opportunity comes and I've, fuck it up then there's a reason that I fuck it up because I'm going to learn something from it and the good thing the thing that I take pride in is that I don't think I get scared of fucking things up I think my fear that I've always worked on and I'm still working on to this day is getting to the very very top having that love having that career having your dreams fulfilled and then losing it I think that's something that I fear um not so much anymore, but that was, you know, something that I worked on at the Tony Robbins events is, you know, we self-sabotage and keep us from getting to certain spaces because we're afraid that once we get there, it's not that it won't be fulfilling, but it's that it'll be so amazing. The fear of losing it will take over. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's just something that, it's almost like you just got to go with it because then you lose it and then you try again. It's like, it doesn't, you know, everything's fine. Everything's always fine. Um, sure. I've learned that through many, many struggles. Right. I mean, it's just, yeah. So anyways, then I get the job, start working for him. And they said that they had a work meeting and they're like, we get it. You probably can't fly out. And that day I was like, what's the cheapest flight that I (laughs) to go out there? And to this day, like I told him, I was like, um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go out there for work, but for some other things. But really like my whole vision was like, I'm going out there. I'm getting to the production days. I'm meeting Ed and I'm putting face to face, like doing this. And he met me and it was an honor. I mean, it's, it's like meeting Tony Robbins. It's like the person that you've been, I'm like, you had no idea that for months and a year, you've been changing my life. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And he, uh, he, for the most, for what he said to me, he really liked me. And I, you know, I just got promoted. I just, you know, I'm starting to do more in the field. And I don't think it's like, I don't think media will be long-term for me, but the world that I'm in is the world that I want to stay in the self-development motivational so it's I could not imagine a perfect opportunity for me 
Sure. Um, yeah. So, so. Video you sent him? Yeah. So wow. when we had our meeting, um, he kind of looked at me and he was like, when can you move out to California? And I'm like, okay, well, we'll, we'll we, like, I would love to moving pieces. And he goes, so what's your story? Like, give me a two minutes of you. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't. And I basically just said, I sent you a video. And I was like, I don't know if you remember. And he stood there and he looked at me and he goes, holy shit, I remember now. And he was like, I was sitting there with Christiana, my, his wife. Right. And he was like, I showed her the video. And um, he said that in the DM too. He was like, I just showed this to my wife. And like, we see it. We see like your eyes and stuff. Because Ed talks about the eyes and how if you've, you know, gone through something and people just have different eyes, you know, they're, they're softer, more compassionate and um, a gift and a curse. But, um, <laughs> that's so true. but yeah, it was surreal. It was surreal to stand at his house in Laguna, having seen it on all the interviews. Sure. And I just stood there and I was like, all right, I'm, I'm on the right track. Like I'm finally, I'm, I'm getting there. Um, so yeah, that's <laughs> fast forward. Here I am. <laughs> that is absolutely, that's like most people's dream. Uh, to an extent, you know, so that is, that's phenomenal. That is so cool. So uh, really quick, you have, so the guy is no longer, he has not contacted you. He's made it through. No, no, you know, it's weird. Um, I actually, I went to Arizona because one of my best friends is getting engaged. And I think after a relationship ends, you go through like the five stages of grief. And for so long, I felt like I would feel all of them all day. Like, um, and my last time in Arizona was the first time I had been back since I left. And it was confirmation for me that I didn't see him or hear from him or anything, that it was done. And I think I always had a hard time with the last stage of grief, which is acceptance, because I didn't want to let it go. And I didn't want to let it go because a lot of it was beautiful. You know, I wouldn't have been in it if it didn't have its beautiful moment. Um, And I think that's where people get tied up with abusive or toxic relationships too, is um, the moments that are good are exhilarating and the moments that are bad are truly damaging. Um, and sometimes we become addicted to the drama and stuff like that. But um, I actually sent him a letter when I was in Arizona. I haven't talked to him since. Um, and um, I just said my piece and he never responded, which I'm incredibly grateful for because I just, I think he was, I think he's probably at a place now where he's like, all right, I can, I can respect, you know, where she's at. I think he got his help and he's, hopefully doing his work but um I was able to say my piece and I was finally like all right it's done it's it's just an experience now you know I I used to get choked up telling the story um and now it's just it's just a story and it's just this it's actually I am grateful for how bad it was because I would have never left if he was just a regular alcoholic 
I would still be there. I'd still be in that situation. I would have never gone to Dallas. I would have never crewed and met the amazing people, never worked for Ed. I mean, every single thing, even the worst things I can look back on now and say, oh, I get exactly why that happened. Yeah. And, for, and I'm lucky, I'm blessed that it's even come to me so soon where I can have that acceptance and that understanding. But I think it comes for everyone at some point. You'll look back and be like, that's why. I get it. No question about it. No question. I totally agree with, yeah, I totally agree with that. And there, um, there have been times, a few that I'll mention that have been, so I've been sober a little over 10 years. Uh, I don't claim to be an alcoholic because I I have interesting views on that. I agree with you, but go ahead. All right. So this is, that's even more mind blowing because it's every person that I've shared my view with has agreed with me, but yet I've never heard anybody up until this stage of my life that would agree with me. So yeah, I say all that to say, so I spent some time in AA for a long time. And then in July, mm-hmm. um, is when my personal July of 18 is when my personal development journey started. And, mm-hmm. and it started with my wife handing me, um, Oh, that's awesome. So like, because I was so, I was, and I was running, I had a, a hormone replacement clinic. So testosterone replacement clinic. Oh, awesome. And, and I was just, I was not a grateful person. I thought I was, I guess, but I well, clearly I wasn't. And now looking back, I really was like kind of a shithead. And so, yeah. So I started on that, my journey with that and then listening to Tony. And I would listen to Tony for probably three hours a day, kind of like you with Ed. Mm-hmm. And, and so then I wrote in my journal that I would go to UPW. I didn't know how, um, but I wrote that I was definitely going to go. And I did. The interesting part about that is, is on October 1st of 2018, my partner in the business came into my office and said, Hey, I'm not paying you anymore. I'm like, I, I run the business. Like how, how I'm like, I'm, I don't even know what to say. And so, um, so two things. One, he's basically saying, I'm kicking you out of the business and, and I'll get to why in a moment. Um, and the second reason was I was supposed to buy my ticket to go see Tony. And I had, like you, I, I knew I was going. Like there was no question I was going to UPW. Yeah. But yeah. without getting paid, I really, at that point, I didn't know how that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So um, my wife called Robin's research and worked out something with one of the people and got me a ticket. And it was a fair, actually, I think it was a VIP ticket. It was one of the better ones, not like a platinum yeah. ticket, but like it was yeah. good. And, yeah. and so she worked it out for me to go. Well, um, fast forward to the 15th of October, he did, did not pay me again. I stayed on because I thought he'll pull his head out of his ass and he didn't. And so I took half the stuff. So half of it was mine because I owned Mm -hmm. half the business. And, and so we'll skip all the details with that. It all worked itself out. I had to return the stuff. I basically, but I essentially had to walk away with nothing, but Mm -hmm. I also walked away with no debt. So by this point, um, 
I had come back from UPW. I was, I had come, I came home. I did Thinking Grow Rich. I did it three times. Did everything Tony said. I even went and fed a family on Thanksgiving anonymously. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, my or my wife and I did, and my daughter. And so I went and got my NLP certification, my coaching certification. So I've kind of mm-hmm. been doing a little bit of that and not knowing really I've been very unfulfilled because I couldn't really figure out what exactly it was I wanted to do. And I dabbled in a couple of things and I thought I knew this is the path I'm supposed to be on. And then something would happen. And so this was leading up to Arte. So Arte went on sale in the, the enrollment went on sale on sale in April or whenever the hell it was. And I had put in my application and I got accepted. And I had one of the things I had written in my journal that I would be a part of Arte. I didn't know how. And financially at the time, it didn't make, it just didn't make sense because mm-hmm. I wasn't working and whatever. Hence the crushed. I was crushed. Cause mm-hmm. like you said, you were crushed when you didn't think you were going to be Absolutely. able to go. So yeah. I was crushed because I had told people I was joining da, 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 and I was just, I was devastated. And so I got over that. Um, and um, what was the next thing? So, okay. So fast forward a little bit of time and the RTA live tickets came on sale and I told my wife, she's like, well, what, we'll have to figure out and see if it works out with the finances or whatever. And 30 seconds after that, um, I had connected with a lot of the RTA members just because of the shirt and I connected with them on IG. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now I've become very good friends with them. And so a man, uh, a guy and his wife, uh, who were both members of the syndicate, 30 seconds after my wife and I had that conversation, Chris's wife called me and she said, Hey, um, I have, she FaceTime me. Well, I don't FaceTime anybody. So I didn't answer the phone. And so my wife was like, you need to answer the phone when it rings again. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so I did. And she said, I want you to go as my guest. And I bawled like Mm -hmm. it was unreal and I actually I skipped once one part when I was when I went to um when I went to crew in Los Angeles I was on the food team and Mm -hmm. the day Tony came out which is Thursday always um I was done with what I had to do and so I was standing by like the curtain you know Mm -hmm. the stage was here I was standing by the curtain and this guy came over and he said, I need you to turn your shirt inside out and come with me. And sit in CIS? I was a filler. So, yeah. so I got to sit in that section for three and a half hours. And I sat literally six feet from Tony. And yeah. sitting there, it was that surreal moment. And like, I had like tears rolled down my face. And I, yeah. I mean, I met Jarek and I met, which Jarek's coming on my show next. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Next month. Um, and so that was one of those times that I just sat and I had to, I had to just be present because it was such a powerful moment. 
Mm-hmm. Well, another one of those moments were was when I went to RK Live, and I went out and I met Andy. And you know, I I under, I know Andy through Ed. Like mm-hmm. Ed was the first pillar for me, not Andy. Mm-hmm. And so, um, because I I've heard probably every video Ed's ever done, as far as I know, um, and and so you know one of the so. So it was just a surreal experience and I got to meet some really amazing people at the event and I got to go with people that brought me in with like the people that pay a shit ton of money to be there. Mm-hmm. And I was just surrounded by the most awesome, just the greatest people. I didn't get to meet Ed. I was, I really thought I was, Not yet. Ed, but I didn't get to meet Ed. Um, I did get to meet Andy because I went out to first for him and Vaughn, of course I got to meet him and I already knew Tyler cause he had come in and done the video. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like there was a third thing that I was going to tell you. Well, so since then this podcast, this mic's been sitting on my desk for three months, like doing <laughs> absolutely nothing because I, I, yeah. just, I was like, I don't know how to start, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Right. And so I asked one of the guys, my very first interview that I have uh, on my, on iTunes is with Ryan Williams, Williams. And I didn't really know who he was, but I met him as I was leaving there, uh, as I was leaving the live event. And I asked him if he would be on the podcast. And he said, yes. Well, then I went to lunch with this guy named Zachary Babcock. Do you know who that is? I don't think so. He's that one of like familiar. top 50 or top 100 podcasters. And it just, but like he's had some big ass names on his show. Like yeah. Gary Vee is about to be on his show and he like, he's like fresh out of prison and all. It's an interesting story. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. cool. So it's a really, really interesting story. And so I've just, so I, you know, I've connected with people that I would never have connected with in my life. I don't think. And because of, just because of being put around those people at the live event, has it's why I'm sitting here now, and I get to interview some really fucking cool people, like mm-hmm. and, I mean, you know, I got to interview Sean Waylon, yeah, and you know, awesome. and the one that I dropped today, you're you'll like the one that I dropped today. If you listen to the interview that I did, it came out today. Okay, cool. Listen to it. Ed needs, okay. yeah, Ed needs to check this lady out. Um, she's in, she's in LA actually. Um, oh, that's awesome. But she, she hosts a television show called T, uh, um, Good Morning La La Land. Oh, I think I've heard of that actually. You probably okay. have. Well, if you, I mean, if you can go to the people that I follow or following me, you'll see. Um, you'll okay. see it on there. But connected with her, the point of me telling you about her is that at the end of, in the circle, or back around to the whole AA thing, uh, the last 10 minutes of the, of the podcast, I, we talked about sobriety and she said, well, let's talk about that for a minute. And I said, okay. And I shared my point of view, which I didn't know how that was going to go. And Mm -hmm. she was like, I have thought this way for a long time because I feel like you stand up say, and you say, I am an alcoholic over and over. You're going to label yourself. Yeah. And you're reinforcing. I've thought about this as well. 
You know, I think that there needs to be a completely new movement on addiction, especially with alcohol, because alcohol you can get anywhere, just like tobacco. Yeah. And I think that with, you know, people that I've seen struggle with it, it's because they stand up every day and they say, I'm blank and I'm an alcoholic. So you are what you preach. And if you're constantly telling yourself that you struggle with alcohol, it is going to be a never ending cycle. That's why I'm sure AA is great. I went to Al-Anon. Yeah. Um, and that kind of helped me, but it was also depressing. Yes. I was like, you guys need movement. You need growth. You don't need to sit around and talk about the struggles that you have with it. Like, you got to – I heard Tony say once, and I'll never forget this. He said, he said, I don't get – he was like, I have a friend that's an alcoholic, and he came up to me, and he goes, Tony, I love you, blah, blah, blah. I watch all your stuff. I've been sober. 167 days and Tony looks at him and goes why are you counting right I will never forget it I'm like don't like it's just done and I think the beauty of our world now Arate, Tony Robbins, Ed Milet, the self-development community is a lot of us just don't drink in general right and so you're around people that are just on a different I don't want to say a different level it is though yeah well so so when I, when I said, when I told her how I felt about it, she was like, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time and she runs groups. Like when you look into it, you'll understand. So she asked me, she said, I want you to partner with me to start under her trademark name, um, mm-hmm. a recovery group. And she was like, it's going to be different than AA. Like, and so for her to ask me to do that was pretty cool because yeah. She's already got quite a following in three different areas. She's getting, you know, yeah. I mean, when you, when you look it up, you'll see her name is Dr. Cool. So, okay. Um, and she, so the whole point of me telling you that is that like all of this happened because of writing shit down in my journal mm-hmm. because of, you know, writing things in the future or whatever. And, yeah. and knowing that I have a bigger, purpose a higher purpose I know there's something bigger for me and I didn't go out and get a job this year because I knew if I did that that yeah. it would not be for, it, it it would block what I'm trying to do and fortunately I have an amazing wife that has been totally supportive and she was like dude like I get exactly what you're doing like do it don't worry about it whatever we got it it's yeah. all good just and like unbelievably supportive. That's amazing. Oh, that's so amazing. Yeah, I'm very lucky in that area. For yeah, sure. yeah, because I know sure. that sometimes it's tough for partners to. Be Not once has she made me feel bad about it. Not once. <laughs> that's Seriously, awesome. like I can't even. It's almost unre- unrelatable. Like for yeah. her, it's crazy. So, um. Anyway, yeah, a lot of similarities. Yeah, because I love that you manifested UPW because it's super funny. When I was at UPW LA in Dallas, everyone said you have to go to Date with Destiny. And for those of you that don't know, Date with Destiny is the six days. It's what the his documentary is based off of. Apparently, it's incredible. Yeah. And I, it's like five grand. Yep. And I was like, there's no way, but I know that I'm going. Right. I was like, I will be there December 5th in Florida. I will be there. And it wasn't until <clears throat> about three days ago that I got my ticket. What? 
Yeah, no, and so it worked out crazy. I was an usher when I crewed, so I helped people go to the seats. So I was an usher for CIS and Platinum. Okay. So I met I met the most incredible people, connected with a lot of them, and when you're a Plat member, you get a guest ticket. Right. And because, um, you know, I said, you know, I, I work for, I was, you know, selfishly, I was like honored to be like, oh, I work with, you know, Ed Milet, blah, blah, blah. But there are a lot of people that know him personally. Hell yeah. I was able to get, yeah, I was able to get a plot guest ticket for 3,500 bucks. I had saved, I basically it's all my money, but I just feel so called to be there and to grow in that way. Um, I think it's going to shift. My, I'm already on like this. I'm already changing. I'm like this is going to completely catapult me into a new direction, and I'm, I'm, I'm like so excited. You are so right, and this is exactly what you. This is what you need. Like this is for you person. This is exactly yeah. what you need to go and do. Yeah. Because it is. It will. It's going to. It's going to soothe a lot of yeah. un. Uh, you know, things that may seem healed, but maybe they're not quite healed. Yeah, that with a little salt, it feels like an open wound. Yes. So, you know, I'm definitely, I'm all about that growth and the healing and the growth. And I asked myself the question that helped me realize I needed to get the ticket to go to Day with Destiny was, do I wish I would have done UPW like four years before I did? Yes. So I was like, I'm not going to wait another four years to make a decision when I have the money, like I'm going to do it now. Cause I know that this works for me. It might, it might not work for everyone, but I thrive in this environment. A lot of us do. Yeah. And once you drink the Tony Robbins Kool-Aid, it's over. It's over. So not it's to mention, you're going to be sitting with the plant. So like, yeah. fuck, like I'm, it's kind of like what I just did. It's yeah. the same, oh, almost the exact same thing. Yeah, because I went with much. yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna try and get an intervention with Tony. It's done. It's happening. I manifested <sighs> it. <laughs> I love that. You may not like it at the time. Maybe not, but he's a scary. He's a big dude. God, he's so big. He is. He's yeah. He's incredible. He really he's is. Funny. Yeah, he really is. Um, that's fantastic. Was Pitbull there this time? Yeah, especially in Miami. Oh, of course, right, right, right. I think he's probably a staple at this point. That's what I think. I think so, too. Everyone loves him, and he has a great story. Um, I don't know his story. I was so tired. I was like, I'm not waiting up to see see him. It's like, nope, I'll sleep. I'm good. Yeah, I I think Um, I've seen him three times now. I'm sure. Yeah, I just didn't. That's amazing. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And I guess we have to thank Anthony for connecting the two of us because he was like, totally. dude, he was like, I ran into this girl that works for Ed Malley. I was like, get me her damn Instagram. <laughs> Give me her Instagram, whatever handle. And I said, make sure before you leave that event, Anthony, you connect me with her. Oh, yes. He made sure of it. He was like, my friend loves Ed. And I was like, I love Ed. So we'll have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's funny. His wife actually started following me out of the blue. Oh, really? She's incredible, too. Ed She's like even follow the me. kindest. Yeah, oh, Ed, I'm does, sure. Ed doesn't follow me. I'm going to give him shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. I know. I'm, 
it'll be a privilege when he does for sure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's right. Like I light up just when he makes a comment. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, all right. Well, I guess we'll wrap up. If there's something that you can think of that you would say to someone that could be in the position that you were in, and maybe they're in the middle of staying in a relationship that they know deep down is probably not going to work out because of red flag one, two, and three. What would you say to that person? If you are questioning it, if there is even a slight doubt that you think you're in an abusive relationship, you most likely are. Um, when you're in something like that, like I said, you can only see so far, um, and it's going to completely tear you apart to walk away, but my self-love journey, I showed up for myself in the darkest moments of my life, and that's how I know that I love myself. That's when the journey started, so it was about trusting that the pain was there for a reason because once you're out like there's no what helped me was when I left the relationship I said there's no other option there is no other option than to never go back and when I had certainty when I decided I deserved more even if I didn't know that's when I was able to continually move forward and set free and if I I thank the girl that I was a year ago every day because beaten down and broken, she left something so dark and she trusted that somehow a year later, she, her life would be completely different. And it is. And I, I mean, it's better than I would have ever imagined. If someone told me this a year ago, I would have been like, no way. So. You know, do you ever think about if, you know, there's things in both of our lives, right, that have mm -hmm. happened that are so much bigger than we could even conceptualize. Yeah. Just think if, like, if, if we really got what we thought we wanted, it wouldn't be anywhere near as good as some of the yeah. things that we have. Yeah. Thank God I didn't get what I wanted. Right. Because you'd be <laughs> married, probably. Yeah. And it'd be a disaster. Yeah. Absolutely. So sometimes it's supposed to get really ugly. Sometimes shit is supposed to suck. Yeah. And if you can keep that outlook, it lessens the pain a little bit, but it gives you enough incongruency to change. 100%. I love that word, incongruency. I love it. So, <laughs> I it um, of course, of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen, thank you so much for speaking. I don't have a clue what, how long we've been on the here, but it doesn't matter. I don't know. So, yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing your story. As painful as it may have been, I'm so happy no. that in like two weeks you're going to be in fucking Florida going to date with Destiny know. because that is, you're going to have to let me know how that was. Afterwards. Oh, I will. We might have to get on another call because I'm sure it'll be Oh, great. I can't. Yeah, let's do it. I would love that. Yeah. That'd be great. All right, Nicole, thank you so much. Okay. Have a wonderful night. And yes, you too. Thank you so much. I appreciate much it. Much love. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. 
We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com. Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.